0: Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday Morning Podcast. Today we conclude our three-part series entitled Good Things. In this series, we will learn how to see our life through the lens of God's favor. And now with part three, here's lead pastor Rex Johnson. We've been discussing some pretty neat stuff the last two weeks. And we're going to go into phase three today of that. We call it simply good things or looking at life through the lens of God's favor. We're going to talk about looking at life through the lens of God's favor. And the first week we talked about, we talked about uh, seeing the right thing. And then last week we talked about you don't see what you get, but you get what you see. And what you can imagine in your life and heart is what God wants to give you in your life. I believe with all my heart that we serve a great and a noble and a mighty God. He is a mighty God. He's a mighty God. And he's not schizophrenic. And he's not manic. And he doesn't have good days and bad days. Amen. 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 When he created time, he stepped outside of time. He owns time. He's not... He's not locked into time. He sees the end as well as the beginning. He sees all things. And that God loves humanity. He made this whole earth for man. He didn't make man for earth. He made the whole earth for us. And He loves us. And He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to understand the blessing of God are yea. The the blessings of God and the promises of God are yea and amen. There's no nay in the promises of God. He wants you to be blessed in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to read a text today. We're going to, we're going to go to, to the third lesson of this. And I'm going to read a text from Romans 8, 31. It said, if God is for us, say it with me. If God is for us, is for us. then who can, us? who can be against us? Who can be against us? Turn to somebody and say nobody. nobody. You may be seated. You're awesome people. I love Winston Churchill. He said, if you're going through hell, keep going. (laughs) Don't stop. By this point of the study of good things, I am extremely confident of the if question may have slipped into your mind, and, and I call it the pink elephant in the room. I'm referring to the question that goes like this. If God is so good then why blank if god is so good then why blank and that blank can be filled in with almost infinite list of tragic and heartbreaking life events in our broken world in this series about goodness and the goodness of god and his unending favor i feel like i may be presenting some kind of irreconcilable disconnect with some of you people for how does the if question get answered? Is there really an answer to the if question? Because life throws curveballs, and Christians are not exempt. John 16 says, in this world you will have trouble. Say, I will have trouble. Say it. <laughs> but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world hardship many times is the horizontal glare that stops us from seeing the vertical light of God shining on us and to us and for us and through us. First, there's no shame in wondering why. People say, can I ask God why? Job perhaps was the first book ever written in the Bible and he asked God over 200 times the why question. Why is all this happening? Christian people Have not been lobotomized to remove rational capability. I've read books addressing the why question. Kushner writes some neat books on when bad things happen to good people. And they were insightful and they were helpful. And having said that, however, my goal today is not to answer the why, but if I can to eliminate the if, as in if God is so good, then why? The why will take care of itself if I can answer the if today. See, I have witnessed great Christians right here in this church go through some indescribable pain and hardships in what I call the progress of their life. I have a pastor friend right now that calls frequently. In fact, he texts me every Sunday morning, and he says, I found it a privilege to pray for you today that God will anoint you and bless the church with your ministry. And he's going through a cancer problem right now, very heavy, He's going through chemo and radiation and it doesn't look good. And hardly a Sunday goes by that someone does not tell me on the porch, Pastor, pray for my brother, pray for my mother, pray for my sister, my father, my niece, my nephew. They're hurting, they're dying. They're diagnosed with all manner of diseases. Here's what I want to say to them. But what I've discovered is that the greatest struggles in life are not the hardships themselves, but it's the questions that the hardships Create. And we ask that question why a lot. And I want to say it this way, just in six short words. Life is hard, people, but God is good. Amen. Life is hard, but God is good. Say it. Life is, hard, Life is hard, but God is good. It was supposed to be on the screen, but it didn't make it today it's more than a cliche it is truth philosophers and theologians refer to their conclusions on this topic with a complicated sound and word theodicy t h e o d i c y and theodicy is a name given to the study of how god's goodness exists alongside the pain and the suffering and the injustice and the inequality of life because life is hard, but God is good. Amen? Yes. God is good. I want to give five statements to you today. I have not put them on the screen, but I want to give you five statements that you can just kind of kind of, kind of summarize and kind of go over and, and, and re- review it in your mind again and again. The first is this. is Although evil is an undeniable part of the world, the existence of evil cannot and never will cancel out The existence of good. Say amen to that. The second point I want to make you. Human beings don't have to offer explanations for why evil is allowed to exist, only that it does. And by the same rules of reason, good exists as well. Third statement. In the same way, Adam, through disobedience, opened the door for undeserved hardship for all of us. Jesus, through obedience... Open the door of undeserved favor For all of us Number four The fact that we experience undeserved consequences For someone else's sin Is not trumped by the fact That we experience undeserved favor For someone else's righteousness Hallelujah And God's undisturbed, undeserved goodness Is not just equal to the undeserved hardship Folks It surpasses it in greatness All the time Everybody say, God is better than this world is bad. Because when sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody clap your hands and say, my God is greater than any crisis, any problem, any situation. See, every great book, folks, is made up of many chapters. It really is. So a good life has many chapters. And each of life's chapters fits into a larger story and provides context and detail and depth. This understanding, though, does not alleviate the pain in life, but it does help us stay steady as we walk through the inevitable valleys of life on this fallen planet. All of the times when things are good or when things are bad are not all that memorable in our life. Chapters of a larger story are still being written. And no two chapters are completely alike and they're not supposed to be because chapters are chapters, hear me, and they're not the whole story. I'm fixing to preach whether you like it or not. They're not meant to be the story. They're like ingredients of a recipe. Included to contribute to the flavor of something much better and much greater. Some people make the mistake of turning a chapter of their life into the story of their life. They say things like, this is the story of my life. I'm a day late and a dollar short. That's not a story. That's a chapter. So you were late. So you were late the second time. You got two chapters. But the book's not over. Two steps forward and three steps back. That's what I live. If anything bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. And what they don't realize is that the day late and dollar short was supposed to be a chapter, not the story. Please hear me. When people make a chapter their story, they sabotage the bigger and greater story of their life. Romans 8 and 28 in the NIV said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The first thing I want you to notice about this scripture is it doesn't say in all good things God works. It says in all things God works. He works in the good. He works in the bad. He works in the ugly. He works in the pain. He works in the mess ups. God is at work. The second thing I want you to notice is that God doesn't just work to get us through it. He works it in all things for the good. Everything he works on is for the good. No matter what the chapter's like, it's all part of a bigger story and it's all good. Everybody say God. God. Is all good. And I'm trying to handle the if question. Because if God is good, take the if out of your life. I don't care what you're looking at right now. Take the if out of your life and say, God is good. Life may be hard, but God is good. Amen. Frame them with things like it's all good or it's, it will be good. My, son and my brother-in-law, my son-in-law, my, son, my brother-in-law, Brett, pastor's in Houston, he's, he's in his mid-50s. Several years ago, had a horrible wreck at Thanksgiving time during the holiday period. It was on Thanksgiving Day. His truck overturned. He was on a little ice, and his truck overturned and ran off of a bridge and landed upside down in a creek, and he he was knocked out. And so he did not know what happened. But when he came to later, he was on the side of the road on a gurney. He was intubated and ready to transfer to the hospital. And someone told him later a fireman had come along and rescued him, then left him on the side of the road as the ambulance came to pick him up and go on to the hospital. Later, when asked about the wreck, would he like that chapter scratched out of his life? He said, never. He said, I would fight to keep the pain and the difficulty and the frustrating event in my life. The reason He said, that chapter brought me to trust in my God, both present and future. He said, God is with me. You know what? He's never learned the name of that fireman. I think I have a couple of clues. One of them might be Michael and the other might be Gabriel. I believe that God is with us. Some of the worst chapters make the best stories in life. Are you with me? So, you've been through some hardships. So, you've been through some tough times. Hold on. If you're going through hell, keep going. Because I promise you, there's a greater, greater reward than you ever imagined on the other side of that thing called hell on earth. Think about your favorite books. Think about them. Our stories. The greater the adventure, the greater the adversary, the greater the adversity, the challenges, the greater the story. As a boy, I was an avid, hardy boy, mystery reader. I read every hardy boy mystery in the, in, in the library. I read them all. In fact, in the summertime, and you're going to, you're going to doubt me in this, but I've always been an avid reader. In the, in the summertime, I could read three of those books in one day. I'd start early on a Saturday, and Mama said, Get out of the house. And I said, I'm, I'm, on, I'm reading a book, Mama. You told me to read to get smart. I'm reading a book. She said, You're not reading the right kind of book. You're reading a hardy boy mystery book. And then at night I couldn't sleep because they had so many things. It was one. Every chapter entered in a ha. Ah, and you couldn't stop. You know what I'm saying? You couldn't stop because it was a ah, ha. Ah, ah. And I'd have nightmares and mom would have to come pray for me to get the Hardy Boy mystery nightmares out of my brain. Tyler Perry. We have a Tyler Perry in our church. I'm not talking about little Tyler Perry. Jim and the Vets little boy. But Tyler Perry is a famous actor, A producer a screenwriter, but if you were to grab a chapter from Perry's story, you'd read about a young man born in adversity and extreme poverty, and he had an abusive father. If you'd read another chapter, he'd tell you about a 28-year-old man who was living in his car homeless, but that's just a chapter. Bethany Hamilton won first place in the Explorers Women Division of the NSSA, National Scholastic Surfing Association, National Championships. But if you were to read only a few pages out of her story, you'd find that as a girl at the age of 13, she was attacked by a shark and lost her left arm. Oprah Winfrey is the famous all-time queen of TV talk. And if you don't like Oprah, I'm sorry, I hope you go to heaven, I like Oprah. (laughs) In one chapter of her story, You would read about a young girl who was repeatedly molested by her cousin, by her uncle, and by a family friend. Then ran away from home at the age of 14, gave birth to a baby boy who died shortly after birth. And she's still who she is today. It's just a chapter. It's not the story. Franklin Roosevelt was one of America's most respected and memorable presidents. In one chapter of his life, after vacationing in Canada, he developed polio, which eventually left him paralyzed from his waist down, but he still was president. Steven Spielberg is one of the most prolific filmmakers of all time, who currently is a trustee on the University of Southern California's board of directors. And if you only read one chapter of his story, you'd read about a young man who was rejected from USC, that school of cinematic arts. Not once, but twice. Buried in the stories of successful people are chapters that don't reveal the whole story, but were important parts in the overall story. And doesn't the worst chapters of a good story make the whole story a whole lot better? Had you rather be here and somebody that hadn't gone through anything today saying, well, I don't know how to tell you how to get through. Or how about a pastor that lost a wife and a son one day? How about a pastor that brother took his life one day and still is preaching the gospel? You don't write the whole story with one chapter. You just keep walking through hell because God is good even though life is hard. That's what it's all about. Amen. That's why we can't ever let the loss of a job or a business or a house make us believe that that's the whole story of our life. Pastor, I went bankrupt. Really? That's a chapter. It's called chapter 11. That just hit me. God never writes you off because of a bad chapter. He's standing by you. He's still healing you. He's still restoring you. And if we're willing and determined to move on to a new life, I promise you the chapters will get better and the story will be victorious. At our house, we recorded and watched the TV drama series 24. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that offends you. Jack Bauer. I met him in New York. Not Jack Bauer. I met Kiefer Sutherland. And I walked up to him, you know me, and I said, Kiefer, you made my Monday nights for eight years. Because pastors love to rest on Monday after preaching hard on Sunday. I said, man, he said, that deserves a picture. And he grabbed me and we made a picture together. (laughs) Don't get jealous. Just listen to me. It's all right. But if you're familiar with it, you know that every episode ended with a cliffhanger. And the suspense was through the ceiling as we wondered what our main man, Jack Bauer, was going to do. We all knew the fictional star of the show did not get to decide the chapters, but he did get to decide the response that would decide the story. So we followed along with him wondering, what is Jack going to do Monday night? He got left in a bad state last Monday. Your life is the same way. You're not the only character in your story. And you don't decide what family you were born into. You don't decide what neighborhood you grew up in or what school you attended. You don't get to pick your siblings. (laughs) You usually don't get to pick your classmates or your teachers. You don't control what others say and do. You don't control the economy. You don't write the plots to your story. You don't write the problems you'll have. You don't know what friends will turn on you. You don't decide what accidents you will be involved in. You don't choose what sickness or infections you'll have to deal with. And you don't plan to be abandoned. But make no mistake about it, it's still your story. And here's what I want to say about that. Only you can decide how you frame the chapters which decides the story. You can walk through life and saying, oh me, oh my. Or you can walk through life and say, oh God, hallelujah. I'm so glad that in a life that's hard, there's a God that's good. That's still on my team. See, between the plot being formed and your response to it, you have a chance to frame every situation into a perspective. You get an opportunity to decide how you're going to see it. And what some see as an ending, this is the end of it all. Others see as just the beginning. What some see as loss, others see as gain. What some say I can't do, some say I can do. What some see as problems, others see as possibilities. What some people see a reason to become bitter, others see a reason to become better. Because every chapter has a fresh, everybody say favor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you know when you was going through the bad times, God showed you favor to get you through that? Do you know when you was going through the good times, God sent you favor to get you through that? It shows when, when, when the Israelites started asking for food in the wilderness, they woke up one morning and there was manna. That was a manna, just a manna sheet, just white all over the floor of the wilderness. And they called it manna. It was fresh favor from God. And the Israelites said, what is this? And manna has always been, what is it? That's what it means in the original. What is this? And sometimes you're thinking, how did this happen? How did God know that I needed this blessing? How did God know that I needed something right now? Because he's God and he's good. Not if God is good. He's God and he's good. Because you can't have good without having God. and they woke up and found the ground covered with manna and chaos broke out and the people started stuffing it in their pockets and baskets and containers and they, their idea, we got to get it while we can they wanted the manna to last as long as possible so they rationed it but their plan was spoiled when they arose the next morning and discovered that yesterday's manna was maggot infested it's what it said and it was spoiled God's message to them yesterday's favor is not today's favor would you let me preach right now? Don't eat leftovers tomorrow. Don't try to preserve yesterday's favor, but engage every day in the fresh anointing and favor of God. The Bible said his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. When you got up today, you're underneath the Niagara Falls of blessing right now and there's water 3,160 tons of water every second flowing in your life. God's got favor pouring on you right now. Don't stuff it in your pocket and save it from yesterday. Live on today's favor. And know tomorrow's gonna be there. God will give you strength today and bless you again tomorrow. Anybody wanna say amen to that? Anybody wanna say amen to that? Hallelujah. They complained that the manna didn't taste like the corn and the melons they had enjoyed while in Egypt. You know why? The form of favor had changed. It wasn't the same. They were sentimentally attached to the old form, which hindered them from fully appreciating the new season of favor. Here's the takeaway. As good as yesterday may have been in your life, God doesn't want you living there. He has a new experience, a new discovery, new opportunities for you in the current season of your life. And the best way to honor the past is don't get stuck in it. Jesus said you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not even fit for the kingdom. God's favor is new every day. Say it's new every day. I must live in today. I need to seize the now. I need to expect great things today. you saying it? I need to draw on God's favor for today. But there's some people say, Pastor, I'm tired. I'm just tired. Life has made me tired. So they've pushed the I'm tired button. And then those that hadn't pushed the I'm tired button have pushed the I'm too old button. (laughs) But God has fresh favor for you just on the other side of the season you're in right now. No matter if you're too tired, no matter if you're too old, he'll refresh you. He'll make you strong. He'll renew your strength all the days of your life. Caleb at 85 said, I'm still as strong today as I was in my youth. Now give me my mountain. Abraham was 99 years old, and God said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. 99 Okay, God. Come on. I looked at one of our dear brothers this morning, a man I love mightily, and I asked him how old he was, and he told me, and I said, you're going to beat my dad. You're going to to be older than my dad. God's got great things for you. He's got great things for you. You're never too old to be blessed. You're never too tired to find the favor of God. Amen? Cam Townsend. Cam Townsend was the founder of the Wycliffe Bible Translators. Flew to Moscow and began learning Russian to assist in Bible translation work in the Caucasus. The nation was under an iron grip of communism and he was 72 years young. Colonel Harlan Sanders, 65, when he started actively franchising his chicken recipe. And his face later became the most sec- second most recognized in America behind the president. John Wesley preached over 40,000 sermons and traveled 225,000 miles. And his horse had never heard of kilometers. And he did this in the latter part of his life between his age of 36 and 88. President Ronald Reagan... One of my heroes was 72 when he pointed to the Berlin Wall and said the famous words that ushered in a new era. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. I'm here to tell you, you're not too old and you're not too tired. You just need to shift gears and get under the favor of God and understand that it's not if God is good, God is good. Yeah, life is hard, but God's good. So I, I, I say this, your past supply is not your last supply. God's supply has no quota and it has no limits David said the Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore so what are, you, what are you saying to us Pastor okay I'm going to close now what are you saying here's what I'm saying that if you want favor you need to do favors it's preach time if you want favor you need to do favor Okay. If you want grace, you need to show some grace. If you want mercy, you need to show some mercy. You with me? See what you give is what you get. Not what you get is what you give. What you get is what you give. David was a man that came to the kingdom after Saul had tried to kill him for 10 years. But Saul had a son named Jonathan who was David's best friend, a crown prince. And when Saul and Jonathan were destroyed at Mount Gilboa, David, with the anointing on him for 10 years now, stepped into the throne room. And the first thing he did, see, what kings did in that day was they killed all the remaining family members of the past regime for fear that that past regime would anti up people and bring a a, a a coup against the leadership now and destroy the now king so they had to kill him aka as as, as, as I mean uh, like as not A.K.A., but like as jehu did to, to Jezebel and, and Ahab's kids killed them all and so but when David gets to the gets to the kingdom when he gets there he said, is there anybody of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? And they called Ziba who was a leader and David transformed him and gave him a place in his kingdom. He said, there is somebody, sir. Jonathan had a son whose name was Mephibosheth. Where is he? He said, he's down in Lodabar at his uncle Makar's house. And he's lame on both his legs. And David said, Go fetch him, go get him. Don't even ask him if he wants to come, just go get him and bring him here. And I guarantee you on the ride to the kingdom, Mephibosheth said, This is my last ride. This is my last ride. The king's asking to see me, he's found me now, and I'm gone, I'm dead. But when he comes in on those crippled legs, when he walks in on those crippled legs and he falls down and he calls himself a dog, David looks at him and said, no, 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 no. no, Get him up, man, get him up. You're not a dog, you're a prince. And your name is Mephibosheth. And you're the son of Jonathan. And I'm gonna show you favor. I'm gonna show you favor. I'm going to give you back the land that belonged to you. I'm going to give you back the money that your dad owed you. And I'm going to let you set at my table until the day you die. Many theologians believe that when David had his hardship in 2 Samuel and took a woman that wasn't his wife and killed her husband, that the reason he didn't get death and the reason he wasn't stoned is because when he had a chance, he showed grace. You hear me? You can't go wrong showing grace today. You can't go wrong saying it's all right today. You can't go wrong. You've got to forgive and move on because what you give is what you're going to get. And it's time for us. And I think tonight's going to be a great night with the, uh, with the allies against slavery. I think tonight with the Austin, uh, uh, what's it called? Disaster Relief Network. I think it's going to be an awesome night because we get to give grace to somebody. And you know what God's going to do? God's going to pour grace on this church. He's going to pour grace on your family because it's not if God is good. God is good. And he's going to bless people that give grace and give mercy and give kindness and love away. Randy, help me. I've preached too much. I need a little more time in the next service. I'll take it, I guess. Because they don't have anything but lunch waiting <laughs> on them. The Bible said, hope thou in God. Ever say hope. hope. You let me tell you what hope is. Hope, you let me tell you what hope is not. Hope is not wishing. I'm, I just hope. You know, you ask somebody, uh, you know, kids they say we're hoping to have a child no but what I like is pastor we're expecting. Yeah. expecting means that they have went beyond wishful thinking and they have become involved in a situation that has produced a baby now here's what I want to tell you so if hope is more than wishful thinking it is expecting God to do what God can do. You don't need to sit in the corner as a child of God and say, oh, I just wish, I just wish God, I wish God would bless me. I wish. No, 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 no. Get out of the wishful state and get into the expecting state. Because God is good and He does want to help you. And when you get into that expecting state, that's where the commitment comes from. You know what? I need to be at church next Sunday. I need to be there when the doors are open because I'm expecting God's goodness on my life. I'm expecting his favor on my life. See, hope is the anchor of the soul. Wishful thinking doesn't anchor your soul, but expecting God to come through for you anchors your soul. What we expect is what we get. not what you wish for but what you expect is what you get David said I remain confident in this I will see the goodness of the Lord now that's about all I got to say about that today because I'm out of time I'm not out of material I'm just out of time But I want to to wrap this up by saying to you today, I want to wrap this up by saying to you today, some of you need to get the if question out of your mind. This series can absolutely revolutionize the story of your life. I can't change the chapters. I can't change what's happened in your life. I can't change that. But how you frame it, how you reference it, how you put it into being in your future determines how your story is going to end. Charles Schultz said we all have to write something. Why don't we all write a good book about how we're going to end this thing with Jesus Christ? We're going to write a great chapter in the end of our life. Amen? Amen? And God is going to be with us and we're going to go home to be with him. Why don't we just all say, I'm going to write the best book. I'm going to write the best book that mercy and grace can write in my life. I'm going to write it. I'm going to write it because God is